Hello, welcome to Bethel Christian Fellowship, a house of prayer for all nations. It has been quite a few weeks since I've been with you, and I had a great sermon from James Underwood last week, and a great sermon from Ludwig just before that, um, but this has been quite the few weeks in Minneapolis-St. Paul in quite a few months, and uh, I've been wondering how you're feeling, and I haven't talked to you. Some of you aren't even part of Bethel Christian Fellowship. Others, we've just been distanced with covid but I have heard from some of you as I've talked to you about different feelings you have, anger and helplessness and trauma, uh, because of the things that have been happening with COVID, with uh, um, racist incidents, George Floyd's murder, uh, and rioting and protesting and um, all kinds of different things. And there's a lot of stuff in your own life that is beyond what's going on around here. So I'm wondering just how you're feeling. How have you been feeling this week, in the last few weeks, um, others talked about being overwhelmed or confused or hopeless or frustrated or hopeful. Or, um, and I, I've really felt like we need to talk about the emotions that we're feeling and, and try to find some place to take our emotions. Um, because I think also our emotions are behind a lot of our reactions and our, what we say and what we do. And... If we don't uh, deal with our emotions, then sometimes we react in ways that might not be best. And yet, our emotions are important. So, um, for example, I think sometimes we talk about rational decisions. As if we can make rational decisions just by deciding, just based on reason. Uh, actually, there's an example of a person, the book Feel talks about an example of a person who, who had a, a brain surgery and his feeling part was disconnected. And the truth was he could think perfectly clearly, but he couldn't make a decision because he couldn't get any emotion behind any, he could list pros and cons, but he could just couldn't get excited about anything or afraid about anything. And he couldn't make a decision. So our emotions are key to who we are. In fact, God has emotions. So the Greek philosophers had their way of thinking things, and that kind of influenced some Christian theology. We sometimes talk about God have, not having feelings because the Greeks thought, well, their other gods were so crazy with all kinds of adultery and murder and all this stuff going on. They thought, well, the real God must not have all that stuff going on. But God is a person, and at, part of being a person is having feelings and emotions, and those are critical to us. How do we have godly emotions? How do we direct our emotions? How can our emotions lead us places? So one of the best places... Oh, it's all through scripture, of course. But one of the best places to look to deal with our emotions and a lot of other things is the Psalms. So we're beginning a series on the Psalms. And I want us to pray just before we go into that. Lord, we pray for you to speak to us, to our minds, to our emotions, to our actions, to our relationships, to our relationship with you. God, we need to hear from you today. Please speak to those who are listening and to us right now. Amen. So, um, one of the emotions I think I'd especially like us to deal with is the emotion of fear. Fear is a basic emotion. Sometimes people say it's down in the Olympic, you know, in that or in the uh, the alligator brain. Sometimes people say it's a, it's a reaction that we need in order to fight or flight or react to things. Um, but it can also get overdone. And when you can, you know, you can be afraid of something for a little bit, but when a virus is going to stay around for months or years. It's hard to keep that fear going. It's hard to deal with uh, racism if it's a continual thing. It's hard to deal with 
all kinds of things if they're ongoing, and that can produce a kind of a trauma and a post-traumatic stress syndrome. I know some people were feeling some trauma the last few weeks, reminding them of other kinds of things. So how do we deal with our fear? That's one of the things I want us to deal with. And, and the Psalms are, well, they're songs. There's 150 of them in this collection we call the Psalms. They were written as individual songs, individual poetry, um, interesting ways that the ideas match. But then they were collected in some special collections. In fact, there's five books of Psalms. That maybe matches the five books of Moses. God speaks and then we respond. One of the things I want you to notice about the Psalms is they are God's word to us, but in a different way than many of the other writings in Scripture. Many of the other writings in Scripture are God speaking to us. In this case, it's people speaking to God from their experience. They're speaking to God with praise, with cries, with laments, with please help judge, all kinds of different emotions, both the highest thanksgiving and praise, the lowest depression and anger and um, just terrible emotion feelings. And um, so all of that is in the Psalms. So it's a great place. And those are put next to each other. And actually the composition of the Psalms, sometimes it seems like they're just random, but actually I think many of them were carefully placed by one another. So um, this collection of books actually occurred over a, a period of time. And um, many of them say they're a Psalm of David, which often means he wrote it. It could mean it's associated with David somehow. It was in the tradition of David or the current Davidic king or something. But basically, often it might mean he wrote it. Uh, one of them says it's a psalm of the song of Moses. And we know back when they got through the Red Sea, there was a song and uh, that, that they sang. So the psalms actually are very interesting. They actually come from the beginning of the Old Testament to the end of the Old Testament. That whole thousand years, 700 plus years, there are songs that are collected. Now, they were collected in interesting fashion. We, we had a, a Bible study in Mwanza, Tanzania, where an English Bible study with some missionaries, some Tanzanians, and we had a songbook, but it had been made by us. So what happened was some people collected some songs they liked, and they made photo, typed them up and made photocopies. And then some new people joined the group, and they added some songs, and they typed it up sometimes in a different font, and they put it together with that. And then some other people came, and they added it to that, and then some other people came and added their songs. And so you switched uh, and just kept adding numbers. And uh, you'd go from different fonts and you say, oh, yeah, that was those people who liked those songs. And um, that's kind of the way this is. So the first book of Psalms, almost all the books, almost all the Psalms are Psalms of David. And maybe those were collected soon after David died in the time of Solomon or soon after Solomon that were collections, actually, of songs of David. And uh, especially through the, through the book one and two, a lot of them are there, and, and there's kind of a, a beginning and an end, and they're framed. So I want us to look at today, um, first of all, a lot of the Psalms have raw emotions, and you see them crying out. David cries out in, in uh, you know, Psalm 26, declare me innocent, O God, for I have acted with integrity. Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? Obviously, he's afraid, <laughs> or he's <laughs> threatened to be afraid. So why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? Even if I'm attacked, I'll remain confident. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Now, probably a mighty army was surrounding him, if you know David's life. 
Um, toward the end of that, he says, teach me how to live, O Lord. Lead me along the right path. For my enemies are waiting for me. Do not let me fall into their hands, for they accuse me of things I've never done. With every breath, they threaten me with violence. Yet I'm confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I'm here in the land of the living. Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. Now you'll notice that the Psalms sometimes are directed to God. Sometimes they're directed to me. Please, wait patiently. Sometimes they're directed to people who are listening. Wait patiently. And often they were used in the, they were written maybe in an individual time, but they were used in the temple and in the service there. Um, so, <laughs> there are so many Psalms about fear and directed to God. So what Psalm could I refer to that would help with the fear that we might be feeling? You know, I thought of the one that is probably the most common psalm, maybe one of the most common ones in all of Scripture, Psalm 23. And so let's turn to Psalm 23. And uh, in Psalm 23, I, David, it's a psalm of David, and I think it was written by David. And he's reflecting, when was it written? I'm guessing, and uh, some of the commentators agree with me, maybe it was written at the end of his life. In fact, um, some of them, it's a psalm of trust. And, you know, trust usually is built through experience. It's a relationship that's built through experience. And often in psalms of trust, you see the experience. They tell you about the experience they had and what they went through and how things were bad and then how God came through. This one doesn't give a real specific experience. Sometimes those are individual. Sometimes they're community psalms of trust. But this one is a psalm of trust that's kind of general, and that's part of why we like it so much, because it's easy to apply to a lot of experiences. But I think it's a psalm of David, and so we can think about his experiences and things that he went through as we talk about this. Now, he says, it begins, the Lord is my shepherd. Yahweh is my shepherd. In fact, that word Yahweh is on the beginning and the very end line of this. He says, I'm going to read it out of the New Living Translation here first. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guide me, guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your only your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of Yahweh forever. The house of the Lord forever. And one other thing you notice in the Psalms and surely here is this rich metaphors and similes. And, and David is here comparing himself to a sheep. Uh, now, David, as you know, had good experience with sheep because he was a shepherd. Now, that, the shepherd was the lowliest job. You, you know, he was the youngest kid, so he had to go be shepherd. He didn't even get to come to the feast, if you remember that story. Um, he was a shepherd, and in that shepherding, he learned some things about sheep, and he learned some things about being a shepherd and a good shepherd. And uh, you see him using that metaphor all the way through this, especially through verse 4. And then he kind of switches metaphors. Some people say he switches to the metaphor of a host or a friend. Um, some people say maybe he's still 
switches from actually being God is his shepherd as a sheep to God is his shepherd as the king. Now, one thing we need to know about this metaphor of shepherd, though, is that it was often used as the Lord is my shepherd. The, a shepherd was also the king of, in ancient Near Eastern places, the, the king was seen as a shepherd, both with the authority and with the care of a shepherd. Here's uh, a picture from Egypt, King Tut. And uh, you'll see the shepherd's crook in his hand. Um, so he is pictured as a shepherd. So when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, he's really saying Yahweh is my king. Yahweh is the one that I'm depending on to, to do all these things. And he, here's the key thing that this says. It says, Yahweh provides all that I need. Yahweh pr will provide all that you need. David looks back. I think this is toward the end of his life when he'd been through a lot of experiences and he could look back and look forward and say, Yahweh has provided all that I needed and Yahweh will provide all that I need. In fact, it's great if you think about this story and look back through 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, see all the things he experienced that could lead him to say this. So I'm saying the Lord will provide all that you need and all that I need. So how will he do that? I'm going to give you four things that are in this psalm. The Lord guides and he protects and he supplies and he is with us. He accompanies us. So let's look at those in this psalm. So now I'm going to switch to NIV just so we can uh, maybe a little more familiar. Um, so he guides us. It says here, he leads beside quiet waters. He guides me in the right path. That means the path that's going to be safe for the sheep. Um, or paths of righteousness. In other words, the right or righteous or just, right or just path. Also for his name, for the honor of his name. So when God is doing something for his name, it's also for our good. And I want you too to notice um, later he says, that uh, he leads, you are with me in the dark valley. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Isn't it interesting that God sometimes guides us into dark valleys, into valleys of the shadow of death? And honestly, this has been a time when the shadow of death has been a little more over us. Have we been hearing all kinds of things about COVID and 100,000 some people dying just in the U.S., plus all over the world. When our city has been shaken and people have been murdered and, and there's been other things and, and around the world, there's been a fear that has come of death. And yet, it's the shadow of death there that he, he guides and protects. We'll get to the protecting. But I want you to think about a time when God has guided you. Now we can think about times when God guided David. He was fighting with the Philistines and, and God said, no, don't go there. Return to Ziklag. Got there and there was a servant who could lead him to find where his children were there. God guided him a lot of times. When has God guided you? That's a question I want to ask you to think about. Think about 
I want you to tell a time when God has guided you. I'm going to pause the video, ask that, and how do you need God to guide you now? Ask God about that, but I also want you to tell somebody who's near you. And we have restarted our church in the sense of we're having groups all over the city that are meeting together. So when you write this down or think about this, I want you to share it with the group that you're meeting with. Now, if you're, you have compromised health, you know, don't get together with the group. But if you're welcome to join one of our groups in the 10 places we're meeting around the city um, across Sunday and Saturday and Monday, and um, join us and share. Think about this so you can share when you get there. Tell a time when God guided you. Tell a time when you need guidance. And then pray about that. Now, if you're staying home alone, I want you to think about that, write it down, and then call somebody and say, you know what? I just want to tell you about how God guided you, and I, guided me, and I want you to pray for me in this new way that I need God to guide me. Um, so I'm going to pause and ask you to answer those questions. How does God, has God guided you? How do you need him to guide you? Okay, I'm coming back to tell you that God has guided me a lot of times. God guided me when I didn't want to be he guided me to come to this church. He guided me to be sent from this church to Tanzania and then later to Kenya and then back to this church, for example. Um, he guided me to a wonderful wife. And there's a lot of other, I, I'm not going to go into details because we don't have time. But um, God has guided me and this church in a lot of ways um, that we can reflect on. Um, the next thing is God protects. Now this is key for us right now because, yeah, we have COVID-19 going on. There's a whole lot of other things going on. The shadow of death has been nearer to us. And there's been, um, we've seen people murdered. We've seen um, terrible things happening. And it's, it's shaken us up. There's been looting. And, and it has shaken us. And, and we can become afraid. And out of that fear, we can react in ways that are not good. Now, I want to say that if you're afraid, you don't have to pretend you're not afraid. <laughs> Take that to God. Tell him how afraid you are and ask him to protect you. Read some of the other Psalms and cry out to him about protection. But here, David, reflecting on his life, thinks about all the ways that God has protected him. Think about he had enemies. He had a lion and a bear when he was a shepherd. And then he had Goliath. And then he had Saul, the king of the country, was after him. And then he, the, the Philistines, and, um, and then his own family, his own son was trying to murder him and take over. The, he had so many things, and yet God protected him in each one of those. In the civil war between the north and the south, he protected him in Israel and Judah. So God protected him. He, he says here that um, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and for Christians, it is the shadow of death. Billy Graham tells a story about someone else when they're, they're, uh, he was a pastor and his um, wife died and he was driving to the funeral. And as a truck came by, the shadow passed over them and he told his kids, would you rather be hit by the truck or by the shadow of the truck? And they said, well, by the shadow of the truck. And he said, your mother's been hit by the shadow of death, but she's going to be resurrected. And that's a hope that we have that, David didn't even have clearly. So um, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Even when I see how 
you know, we've got a lot of things that we rely on to protect us. One of them has been the government and the police. And some of us are really afraid that the police might even be hurting us. Others of us are afraid that the police can't protect us anymore because people can overwhelm the police. And so we don't have the confidence. Again, I tell you, the Lord is your shepherd. He can protect you. Um, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Surely goodness and love will pursue me all the days of my life. So David, I think this is actually showing David, when he came into the kingship, he, this you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, I, I don't think is just a host. This is, this is David after he's defeated all of his enemies. David coming into the kingship and his enemies maybe are sitting at the feast. The, the relatives of Saul who had tried to kill him, the, the, his opponents, are maybe sitting there. But he is being, this is a, a, a triumph feast. He has triumphed and his enemies are even there, but they have no power over him because God has led him to victory. It's a triumph feast. And there's going to be a triumph feast when the Jesus Christ rides in with his sword drawn and defeats all wickedness. And we sit down at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we have a we've victory feast. But that's, we are protected. And he says, surely goodness and love will pursue me all the days of my life. Think of all the things and all the people that David was pursued by, by Saul and by the Philistines and by, but he says, you know, when I look back, it's actually only goodness and love that pursued me because God's unfailing love was pursuing me all the days of my life, even when I couldn't see it. I want you to know that you are being pursued by God's goodness and love. And sometimes even bad things can nip at our heels and chase us into the Father's arms, um, into the shepherd's arms. Uh, one Scottish preacher said, God is my shepherd, eh? And he's got two good collie dogs, goodness and love, and they <laughs> nip at our heels and push us where they're supposed to be. Um, so, you know, sheep, sheep do not have big teeth to fight anything. They do not have any shell. They're kind of helpless, except for the shepherd. And you know, it says here he has a rod and a staff. That rod was a club that he had in his belt. Uh, yeah, today he would be armed with a gun maybe, but he, he had a club that he could fend things off. David had a slingshot too. So they were there to protect the sheep from wolves or thieves or others. Um, God protects you. So, um, I'll tell you one story. This isn't even my story. This is my brother's story. My brother Nathan was in Burundi, and uh, things were dangerous. There was a civil war going on, but he, he took the bus up to where one of the Bible schools was, above Bujumbura, and um, then people told him, oh, it's not safe to go back in the bus. So he got a taxi, and as he was going back in the taxi, he was sharing the good news about Jesus. He said, you know, if you were to die today, where would you go, and how would you know if you were going to heaven or not? The person had never actually heard about Jesus, surprisingly. So he was telling him about Jesus and telling him that Jesus could forgive his sins and give him a place in heaven. And a little bit later, the brakes actually went out on this car. And this, if you've never been to Burundi, there's a, some of you have, but uh, there's the mountains. And coming out of there, there's pin, there's just tight curves going down the mountains, down to Bujumbura. And he told him, you know, crash it into the side of the mountain because that's our hope here. But he didn't want to wreck his car. 
So uh, he didn't, and uh, they started careening down and going around these corners. And Nathan at first was all tense, and then he was like, Jesus, here I come. Because he said, we were not going to make another corner. We were just screeching around these corners on like two wheels. And he said, just when I did that, all four brakes just locked up. And it skidded to a halt. And he actually had a soldier in the car with him. And this soldier jumped up and went, Munguyupo, Munguyupo. Jesus, God is here. God is here. <laughs> um, and uh, they got a bus and went back. But God protected him. And yet, how many times has God protected you, protected me? Um, when we've been in the car and, and traveling and, you know, when I was biking and got hit by another bike. There's so many uh, times God has protected us, times we've been sick and God's healed us. People who in our congregation who've had COVID, who survived. And um, God, we, we are so thankful. So my question to you, when has God protected you? And what do you need God to protect you from now? What fear do you have that you need him to protect you from now? I'm going to give you a minute to answer those two questions. Now, along with guidance and protection, there's something else we need. Well, we need to eat. <laughs> we need to drink. We need different kinds of supplies. And you, you know, what's interesting about this text is actually it has lots of words in Hebrew and lots of allusions to the Exodus and the time when, the, when God took the Israelites out of the Exodus and when he was um, guiding them through the wilderness, when he was protecting them from Pharaoh and from all the other things that could happen, and he was providing for them food, manna, and, and, and water in the desert and all these different things. So how does it illustrate that in these metaphors here? It says this, Yahweh is my shepherd. I shall lack nothing. I have all that I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He lets me rest in green meadows. That means that the sheep are so full that they just lay down because they've eaten all this green grass. Now, in Israel, it's not all that easy to find green grass some places because of the rains. But they've eaten their full fill. And uh, he leads me beside quiet waters. Not just water, but quiet waters because sheep don't like to drink from rapid waters. They're afraid of falling in and... They're wool soaking up and drowning, right? So they, he leads me to quiet waters, just the kind of water I need. He restores my soul, or he renews my strength, NLT says, or he, renew, he restores my life. It's not just a spiritual thing, but it's all of our life, both physical and spiritual. And there is also the hint that sometimes God um, returns us to the right path. He restores us to where we should be. He restores our soul when we've, we've tended to wander away. He gives us what we... And then it goes on, verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. You see, God supplied for David. He could see how God had supplied for him food and water and refreshing and rest and honor and goodness and love. God has given us all those things, our daily bread, our daily bread. And if you've eaten today, <laughs> if you had a drink today, thank God, because not everybody has, but you are able to eat, and we are able to supply for one another. 
Um, in the church, in Acts, there were no needy persons among them because they shared with each other. That's one of the ways that God provides for us. But he provides. And right now in our economic crisis, some of you have lost your jobs. Some of you, the unemployment's been okay, but it's running out. You don't know if your business is going to continue or not. You don't know if the retirement you saved for is going to be gone. You don't know, some of you had no savings at all anyways, so you don't know what to do now. And God is going to provide for you. He's going to supply what you need if you trust him, if he's your king, if he's your shepherd. So I want to encourage you. Now, I want you to ask, ask you again, when has God supplied for you? I, actually, I preached this sermon 27 years ago in Bethel, and I, I wrote down uh, that God had allowed us to do our master's degrees without debts. Um, that was amazing. Since then, he's let us do PhDs, likewise, and he's gotten our kids through good colleges, likewise, and amazing things. And we were just living on support and not sure. And sometimes we really had to pray for school fees to come in um, for our kids and different things. God has provided so much and, and places to sleep and be and all over the world. Um, and people who've hosted us in so many ways. God has provided for us. So I want to ask you, how has God provided for you? And what do you need him to provide for you now? Take a minute, answer that question. Now, when we have been guided and protected and supplied for, is that all the provision we need? I don't think that's enough yet. Because there's one thing that we really need, and that is the Lord not only guides and supplies and protects, he accompanies us. He's with us. And we see that through the whole passage from the beginning to the end. All of that is because he's with us. Interestingly, at the beginning of the passage, it says, he leads me beside quiet waters. He's the shepherd out front and the sheep are following his voice. And then in the end of the passage, it says, he pursues me. He's the collie dogs. He's the sheep. Keep chasing the sheep back in um, behind the sheep. And then in the right in the middle, it says, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And in the end, it says, I will dwell in the house of Yahweh forever. Interestingly, there, there wasn't a temple yet, but David was probably referring to the, where the, the tent where the, where the Ark of the Covenant was. And yet, God is with us in an even closer way. But David could look back through his life and see God was with me in that situation, even in the shadow of death. How many times did David almost get killed? In the shadow of death, God was with him. God was present. And we need God in this time when we are having to be separated. It's a time when we can feel abandoned and lonely and far from people and depressed and suicidal. And it's hard to be away from people. But in your situation, God is with you. I mentioned my mother in the nursing home. God is with her, even though none of us can be in there with her. And God is with you wherever you are. So now, take a minute and remember a time when God was with you, when you noticed God was with you. God's always with us, but we don't always notice. A time when you noticed, especially when you really needed him and he was with you. And then I want you to 
talk about a time, a way that you need God to be with you now. And write that down, pray about that, share that with somebody else. So I'm going to give you a minute to think about that. I'm going to pause the video and think about that, tell somebody, write it down, pray it. Okay. So, the Lord accompanies. And truly, God has been with us as well. When we've traveled all over the world, when we went to Tanzania, we didn't know anybody except my brother who was a day and a half away. And we needed all kinds of things, but we especially needed God to be with us. And he was with us. And sleepless nights, God's been with me. And I don't know what you're going through, but God can be with you in the middle of it. Um, we know he'll provide all that we need because he guides, protects, supplies, and accompanies. He's with us. So I, I have a, um, a practical suggestion for you. A couple of them. First of all, when I was still in junior high, I read a book, by, I think it was Charles Allen, called God Psychiatry. One of his little prescriptions there was um, take Psalm 23 and read it meditatively five times a day, like beginning, end of the day, when you each of your meals. Um, I was a little bit uncomfortable to do that in the lunchroom in junior high, but I did it. Uh, he said, don't just recite it, but read it. And until you get the picture and you can see it in your mind and you know that God's going to provide for you, he's with you, he's protecting you. And you know, that, that did something in me, just doing it even one week. And there are other times when I've been afraid and I've recited that. I, I mentioned to you the time when the, when the tornado came through and crashed our camper. And then the next summer, we were at youth camp and uh, I could feel in the air something was going on. I was laying in my bed reciting Psalm 23 to myself. Um, because, and then sure enough, the counselor said, there's a tornado, get your pants on, get to the... And I, I jumped up and I was like, God's in control. Now, I had the experience from before, I had some trust. But uh, that psalm has been crucial for me. And I, I just encourage you to read it five times a day, meditatively, and let it sink in for just one week. Um, and take some time to thank him for the ways that he's done all those things for you. Um, and then a finally, a, a final challenge. This is only true for those for whom the Lord is their shepherd. Now, I want to make the connection to Jesus. Of course, Jesus is Yahweh, but there's specific connections in Scripture to Jesus. Um, you know, Ezekiel 34 talks about the bad shepherds, the shepherds who are selfish and do it for themselves. But Jesus, he says he's the good shepherd. In, uh, well, you remember Matthew 9, he says, he was compassionate because he saw that the people were like sheep without a shepherd. And it feels to me like that's sometimes the way we are. We, we don't have the leaders that we hope to, to protect us. But in John 10, he says this, I tell you the truth, just as Jesus. John 10, 1. I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. 
They will run from him because they don't know his voice. You see the intimacy there? Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant, so he explained it to them. I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. In other words, he protects them. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved from everything, including eternal death. They will come and go and freely and will find good pastors. He's going to provide for them. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. God wants to give you, Jesus wants to give you a rich and satisfying life provide for you and protect you and be with you if you'll let him be your shepherd, if you'll let him be your king. But if you want to find other shepherds or be your own shepherd, then you don't get these promises. <laughs> it's only if Yahweh and Jesus are, he, he goes on, he says, I am the good shepherd, not like those leaders. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. So the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and they know me. Just as my father knows me, and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. You see, Jesus, David was a lowly shepherd, but God raised him up to be king of all Israel. Jesus was king of the whole universe. And he came down to be a lowly shepherd of the sheep in Israel. He says, I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. Jesus is not into tribalism or racism. All kinds of sheep. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. The Father loves me because I sacrificed my life so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again, for this is what my Father has commanded. So Jesus is the good shepherd willing to die to protect the sheep. Most shepherds are protecting themselves first. Jesus laid his life down for you. Gave his life so that you could be saved protected, provided for, and so you could live forever in his house with him. So you could be with him now and forever. So, it goes on in other places. Uh, Hebrews 13, 20 says Jesus is the great shepherd. 1 Peter 5, 4 says he's the chief shepherd. But remember that shepherd metaphor is the king. Is Jesus king? Is he the just king? The one who does what is right for you? Is he your just king? He's the just king, but will you be one of his subjects? Will you be one of his sheep? He is the good shepherd, and he's inviting you to do that. Now, if you want to go your own way, guide yourself, protect yourself, find somebody else, but he wants to be your shepherd. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you are our, she our shepherd. Thank you that with all of our limitations, and we sometimes think we're better than sheep, but we're pretty vulnerable. We need to be guided, protected, and provided for, and we need you with us. We want you to be our shepherd. We invite you to be our shepherd. 
Thank you for this beautiful picture. And I pray that as we meditate on it, we will begin to feel it so that we don't have to fear because we have you. Thank you for your goodness to us. Amen.